0: Hi, my name is Sharmini Rajaratnam
1: and this is Uncommon. Uncommon is a production focused on the why of business, media and marketing. It's made by my team at Nural, a digital agency for challenger brands and talent. To learn more, just visit nural.com. That's N-A-U-R-A-L-L-E dot My guest this week, Sharmini Rajaratnam, CEO of Rationale and Honorary Greek, according to Athen. Now, this is the the line he gave me. She's an honorary Greek for more than one reason, apart from the fact she learned a bit of Greek already, got married in Greece and gave her son a Greek name, Leo. Brackets had to put in (laughs) king of the Spartans. It's our (laughs) son, by the way. (laughs) He put in in brackets, king of the Spartans, um, of course. Apart from all that, apparently the founder of singapore and i looked this up oh, it claims
0: <laughs> this is like going to be written on my tombstone yeah. or something.
1: <laughs> apparently the founder of singapore is a uh, descendant of alexander the great which i looked this up by the way and it's About a very nothing? bold claim like it's it's the guy the guy like half the story of this guy's founding story is ridiculous and yeah, he claims that he's a descendant of Alexander the Great, <laughs> and then isn't that isn't,
0: just the the basic of every Greek person going everywhere? Yeah. Everything originated from Greece. From Greece, yeah, yeah, is Greek.
1: So, well, this this is the line. Um, and he said, "It's the first fact when you enter Singapore National Museum. Ergo, Singaporeans are Greek."
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! I it's so guess. it's
1: so funny. I I have an old boss who's similar to Ethan. Um, her name's Angie. She runs a POCA uh, on Down Street, and she will claim mm-hmm. anything language, hospitality, um, books, democracy, food, like everything. food. Everything yeah. is Greek, and it's yeah. <laughs> only Greek. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, that that was actually quite funny because we were in Singapore and I said to Ethan, we should go to the museum. It's actually quite an interesting one. I hadn't been in years. We walked in and there was a sign that had something to the extent of Alexander the Great. And he literally, it was like 100 metres into, like <laughs> past the line where you give your tickets. He looked at that, he read it and he said, I'm out, I'll see you in the cafe. I've <laughs> learned everything I've had to learn from this museum. Oh, so, that is so funny! <laughs> it's a very
1: aching thing. When was the last time you were in Singapore?
0: Gosh, that would have been 2019. Yeah, September 2019. We had gone back to surprise my mum for her 70th birthday. And yeah, I mean, you know, we usually try and go at least once a year or they come here to, to see the grandkids and to spend some time in Melbourne. So it's been, it's been challenging. You know, we've had another kid they haven't met their new grandson. They, I haven't met two of my nieces. It's um, yeah, it's not great. It's not great not being able to travel. We take it for granted. Yeah, I think everybody you, has.
1: I heard something the other day that Qantas will be opening up international travel in December to a few select countries. I remember saying to my wife, Lauren, let's just go to any of them. The first one that's open. <laughs> let's just let's just go there. Yeah. Um, so for those who don't know, you grew up in Singapore. Yes. Uh, your father was yeah born and bred. Your, dad's, your dad was an ASEAN diplomat running think tank programs across Asia. Is this Ethan giving you the bio? Oh, yeah. He gave me heaps. So oh much info. Um, he should have sort of back-channeled and given me that information. Too. Yeah, he should have. <laughs> um, what's your earliest memory as a kid?
0: Oh gosh. I mean, I had a very happy childhood. We were just surrounded by lots of family and I have an older sister and an older brother. I very much was brought up by my grandmother because Mm -hmm. the age difference between myself and my sister was four years. Myself and my brother were eight years and my parents went back to work and yeah, I just remember sort of running around. It was always really happy. There was always a lot of people. There was always lots of things happening, which was mm. good. Um, but no, I, I mean, I remember playing by myself a lot with friends. The neighbourhood or the estate that we lived in was, you know, kids going out, meeting in the middle of the playground, going to each other's houses, exploring. We had like a rubber estate with rubber trees at the back of our house. So we used to play oh, in wow. there. We used to find like rubber bullets because the army would train um wow. so it was pretty cool it was, yeah it was it, I, I had the best childhood I have nothing negative to say about it
1: yeah um Singapore is quite a unique place and I, I know you came over here to study uh, straight out of high school so I think mm-hmm. you um you're at Melbourne Uni you, you must have done your undergrad and uh, masters here what was the biggest culture shock coming from a life in Singapore to Australia?
0: Do you know what, the biggest culture shock Like we spent a lot of time in Australia Because my auntie was here And my, my mom's sister was here So we spent a lot of summers here And in Canberra specifically But I think the biggest shock being You know, a young adult coming into Australia Was the freedom of Like all the movies that I watched as a kid I had seen So many scenes were censored In really? Singapore Really? So, you know, from Pretty Woman to just anything, anything that you could name, a film that you watched in Singapore, if you watched it here, was completely different. And that was a bit of a, oh, my gosh, like I lived in in blissful ignorance in Singapore. It didn't faze me that I didn't know half the storylines of of certain things. Like, for all I knew, Pretty Woman was just a pretty woman and not a prostitute.
1: (laughs) So so when they censored it, would it be that they cut an entire section of the movie or were they just black out the screen?
0: Uh, no, they, they cut out sections of the movie with things they didn't feel were appropriate to discuss, I think. Wow. So, you know, the scene of her potentially in the hotel room and, and things like that. From from memory, there's so many stories that I go back to your movies that I'm like, ah, didn't realise there was a whole hour that I missed. Didn't realise movies were were not 30 minutes.
1: <laughs> wow, that must have been fascinating. Yeah, Singapore is quite unique. Like it, it, There's nothing like it in Asia in terms of economic performance, but there are certain things that when I speak to Singaporeans who've settled here, well, obviously stuff has changed. I don't think they do stuff like that anymore, clearly. I don't think censoring to, of movies... To
0: that extent, they don't no. do it, but there's still a level of censorship. That yeah. Occurs. yeah.
1: And, you know, you've got the major party, which is really the only party you can vote for. There are... And the primary reason for that is because they can change the electoral boundaries, so to speak, so they can mm-hmm. m- move things around. But interestingly, I was watching this little mini-doco the other day that the ruling party got the lowest vote percentage vote from the population ever in its history last election, which I found really yeah. interesting.
0: I, I think, you know, the, the, the tides are changing in terms of the majority of the generation in, in Singapore now who have a, a little bit more freedom of speech, who want to see some change or positive change as well and are using their vote to democratize, I guess, the the, the party and, and the ruling party as well. I think it is still, you know, a decade away from that changing substantially. Yeah. Um but you know for, for all that we can say about the the PAP or the People Action, the People's Action Party is that it worked for a certain period of time. It got Singapore to where it had to to get to as well from an economic perspective, from being one of the most successful ports in the world to integrating different racial, multiracial sort of communities together yeah. at the very start, to gaining the independence for Malaysia, and to ruling with a lot of peace and I guess prosperity. There's a lot to say about that, um, but I think that 100%. comes down to the founding father as well, yeah. and a lot of that has shifted.
1: Yeah, I've I've watched a lot of um, little interviews he's done recently. Um, what's his name? Lee Yuan Ku? Uh, Lee Kuan yu yes. Lee Kuan yu That's it. I always yeah. get it mixed up. And um, it's it's very interesting. But it's you know things that are happening in Singapore now is sort of the uh, what you'd expect with the advent of the internet. I wonder if he looked, if he would look back at it or looked at it and said, yes, this was bound to happen, but we just needed a a time or period of time to set ourselves up so to speak i think there are things that are uniquely singaporean um mm. like it's a very uh what's it called meritocratic society there like yeah. and certain things just gel really really well in singapore it's uh, i'm fascinated by it ever since i went overseas for the first time ever and we stopped over in singapore i was just fascinated by the place
0: it's is, it is i mean it's a small small country and you know, it, it makes it easier to do a lot of things. But even going through the pandemic and seeing the differences in how things were handled here and, and there, there's a united viewpoint in, in Singapore, um, and that makes it easier. And people are just generally a little bit more compliant as well from from the get go. Very much but so. With everything, there's a bit of a trade off as well. So I, I can't say that I. Was frustrated or had a, a bad experience growing up there. By by any account, it's actually the opposite. It was a really mm-hmm. lovely childhood, and I love going back. I love seeing my family. Would I live there now? I, probably not. I, you know, things are super expensive. It's I, and I don't know if I just if I'm going back home, I just fall into being a kid again because you're <laughs> at home, you're with your parents. It doesn't matter that you're over thirty years old. Your mom's like, "Do you need to live somewhere?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure. Actually, yeah. I do." <laughs> Can you pick me up at two? <laughs>
1: That's so funny. That's so. so funny.
0: It's, it's one of those things. But um, I, I do, I, I, things have changed very dramatically in Singapore in, in terms of what I remember the country to be. Things have changed for the better and in, in some aspects and some aspects you just lose what you remember your childhood to be
1: as well. Hmm. Nostalgia in hindsight is always, uh, uh, you look at things with rose-coloured glasses, I think, as well. Yeah. Um, growing up, if you look back at that time, is there any principles that you hold today that maybe your parents uh pressed upon you? Like as an example, I I regularly use my father, very mm-hmm. hard worker. Um yeah. all I remember is him working in his printing business. Uh, I've got uh, the memories I have, and he he called me up the other day to complain about hearing this on an interview. He's like, I wasn't the, not there that much. And all this other crap, but basically, I just remember him not being around for a period of time because when we were a kid, yeah. really, really young, um, things were tough. Yeah. And my other memory is like the smell of paper, freshly printed paper, mm, being around around that. So, was there is there anything you have like that um, at all growing up?
0: Yeah, I think that the, the two things very similar to yours was that hardworking, very diligent nature. I think. People think there's a lot of luck, there's a lot of opportunity happening in the world where people get ahead. But at the end of the day, it is hard work that gets you, you know, you've got to bleed sometimes to to get to where you are. I think that's one thing that's actually quite similar between my parents and Ethan's parents as well. They've just they've always been really hardworking parents that have just done everything that they can to create better opportunities for their kids. The other thing I always remember is that my parents never really put limits on what they expected us to be. And I guess this is not a very Asian or Singaporean mentality where they always had ambitions for their kids around professional, you know, services of, I want my kid to be a doctor or a lawyer. Um, it was nothing of that that was put towards us. It was do what you want to do, do it well, um, and pursue it with, with, all the the love and determination that you can give. So, you know, my mom tells the story of when I was quite young and she was sitting down at at a table with a group of friends and everybody was going through like, oh, my kid, you know, wants to be a doctor and my kid wants to be a lawyer. And they sort of turned to my mom and my mom's like, oh yeah, my youngest daughter wants to be a cashier. (laughs) And they were like, what? And I think I must have been going through a phase where I like really loved scanning products I would have been like four or five or whatever yeah, yeah but I created this whole system at home where my grandmother had to like come and shop um in the kitchen <laughs> and I was so pedantic about scanning the item and packing them like perfectly and you know and back in the day when you still used to do that and that was the only way to shop but yeah my, my parents never put any boundaries on what we should be doing or could be doing they made very particular choices Around you know, my sister was always really, really good at school, very hardworking, you know, she got into the top class in, in her school, but she didn't want to be in that class. And my mum went to the principal's office and said, I want to take her out of that class and put her into, you know, a, another class because she, I wanted to be with her friends. I wanted to feel really comfortable. And everybody, the whole school was like, what, what are you doing? Like she's got into the yeah. top class, leave her there. And my mum's like, no, I know my daughter, she's not going to thrive um right my mom used to pull me out of school when she used to see that I was really sort of stressed out and was she'd call it french leave so she'd take me out of school and go okay we're just doing a day where you know we'll go watch a movie we'll go to the bookshop we'll go for a swim and then you can sort of recalibrate and go back to school tomorrow and I was Uh like I I need a I need a medical certificate like you can't just pull me out of school just like all right I'll write a letter I'll write a letter
1: (laughs) (laughs) wow your mom sounds cool man
0: (laughs) yeah she was she's always they always did really incredible things and um even with my brother, he did really well. He was very good at school, but um, he actually represented Singapore in a number of sports in equestrian and in horse riding and in rugby. And at one of the colleges, they actually, my mum wanted to keep him back a year so that he could concentrate on training for the Olympics um, in horse riding and for the Southeast Asian Games. And again, it was another thing that was very unheard of, but she said, I know this is what he needs. And he wants to pursue this, so we're here to support him. Um, wow. And again, in in a very culturally a place where your studies and your education was really important, and keeping on that track was really important. I think they could see the bigger picture of what we needed as kids, and they let us sort of lead our own lives within boundary as well. So, have yeah. you
1: have you started to do that as a parent as well? Like. <laughs> Uh, what, what do you what do you call that? Is that just like awareness?
0: Maybe I don't know if they've just they had maybe they were just a bit more progressive in terms of how they were brought up or the opportunities they were given. My parents had to elope um, to get married, which is oh, wow. quite a romantic notion. I don't know if I do that with my daughter. I'm pretty sure I'm like the opposite of like, why can't you write your name? <laughs> she's like, I'm three. <laughs> um,
1: That's so funny. No,
0: but, um, you know, she walks down and she's like into her princesses at the moment and she's walking down the stairs and she's like, oh, look at me, dad. And Ethan's like, oh, you're such a beautiful doctor. <laughs> I'm like,
1: don't do that. Don't do that. (laughs) Yeah, that's a very Greek thing. I wonder if Ethan's parents are like that because when you were saying before that your parents didn't impose that upon you, all I'm thinking about is like my dad the entire time was like, you don't want to start a business. You don't want to start, like you want to be an accountant. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be this. And I did the accounting and finance degree and I I just remember doing the first two weeks of my grad uh, like summer thing. You know, you yeah. do like your grad placement or whatever, and I just remember thinking, like, "Holy shit, I've wasted the last three years. <laughs> I absolutely hate this." Um, so that's hilarious. Sometimes
0: you got to do things you to to realize that's not what you don't want. Like, you date boys, or you date girls, and you go, "It's I, at least I know what I don't want now, as opposed to what yeah. I want." So no, it's you the you've same got a difference.
1: You've got a taste test. I think I think that's yeah. absolutely true. So, um, you completed high school in Singapore. Left Singapore, studied at Melbourne Uni, majoring in lin- linguistics is what Ethan gave me, but I guess that's sort of the undergrad because yep. on your LinkedIn, it's Masters of Commerce Marketing. Yep. Straight off the bat, you're into the marketing field. So we've got, uh, I, I'm going to guess it's Vision Media Group, Vision mm-hmm. or Vision, however they want to pronounce it. Yep.
0: Yep.
1: Uh, marketing manager then Bettina Liano working up to digital marketing manager so at that point 2011 you probably sort of would have been looking at the e-commerce side of things as that would have yeah. gradually come out yeah um, we'll get into rationale in a moment and your work up the chain there but if you look, look at that period of your life were any highs and lows in particular
0: Again, like I, gosh, I don't know maybe if I'm just really good at blocking out the bad, but you know, <laughs> I think I'm quite an optimistic, realistic person. And it, again, a really good life. I enjoyed enjoyed high school, secondary school, as we call it in Singapore. I came here, you know, didn't have like heaps of friends at uni because I was working half of the time, um, but made a really group, good group of friends when I was working. Um, throughout uni at Bettina Liano. I actually started at the shop floor, you know, Uh original shop girl, which is great. Taught you a lot of skills. Actually, funny enough about that, I actually served a lady at Bettina Liano like eons ago. And when I first was working there, I sold her a pair of jeans and she came back to me later and said, I really love what you do. Do you want to come and have a coffee? I'm starting a new business at the newly opened GPO when they had had redone it before it became H&M. I said, "Sure, I'll come and have a coffee with you." She had started this brand called Breathless, and so I worked with her, I worked with her for a little while throughout university. You know, the odd days that I w- wasn't working at Bettina, and you know, ten years later, we were hiring for a GM of operations at Rationale, and I was just like, "I know that name. I know that name. It's so familiar." And it ended up being the lady um, who hired me to work oh, no. as a shop girl. Wow. Um, she was she was incredible. Like I really, I, I worked for her for a really long time. And the only reason I stopped was because I ended up going traveling and Mm. it was a casual sort of retail assistant job. But, um, you know, that really taught me like treat everybody really well and really nicely because it comes back, it comes back full circle and she's still working with us. She's an incredible person to work with. And I learned so much from her. Um, but when she came in, she's like, I know you. And I'm like, I know you. And she's like, was I nice to you? I'm like, you're very lovely. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, should I even sit down or should I just meet you?
1: <laughs> That's so funny. Like that—that that is the, the initial notion that you guys are thinking because retail can be like that. I never really worked in retail, but it was the story I continually heard from friends and girlfriends that worked in the space. Um, and there's this whole thing, there's this whole niche on TikTok at the moment of people... Repeating not just customer horror stories, but like workmate horror stories in retail, yeah. um, which yeah. is hilarious. Now rationale is a really interesting one for me because, uh, in hindsight, it looks very cl- like a very clear cut case of how merit and hard work will get you to where you want to be. But I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure for you, it's like it's not that simple. But you know, if you look at your role, so originally marketing and digital coordinator in 2011. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 2012 brand manager, Uh, you then get another promotion to digital marketing manager, then operations manager a year later, then general manager a year after that, and then 2 years after that, CEO. One of the things that Ethan highlighted to me was he said that you have an oh extremely gosh. high I'm e- always really e- like,
0: nervous <laughs> yeah, when you start the <laughs> sentence with Ethan highlighted Ethan.
1: to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, he, it was very endearing. He was said it you nice? have, okay. yeah, it was nice. He said you had an extremely high <laughs> EQ, uh, noting you often have a genuine and deep relationship with each and every staff member, not just direct reports. So you go to clinics, you spend time in the warehouse, You empower your team to come to work out solutions and ideas. You know them intimately, not just professionally as people. And he said, I admire that a lot in her, which was quite nice. What do you think today are your core? What are the golden principles of sham running this business?
0: I think the first thing is that you can't do anything by yourself. And I'm very, very cognizant of it. Like nothing that we've built has been because of me or, 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 because of one individual. It's been an extremely, it's, it's a group effort to, to get us to to where we need to get to. I'm also very cognizant that in my role, I have a lot of influence. And with that comes a lot of responsibility um, to the people. They look to you to lead, but they also look to you to to help them forward as well. So I don't have the answers to everything. I'm definitely not the best at any part of the business. I have, I think the most incredible team that I work with that are just so smart, so intelligent. I learn from them every day. And, I think to a certain extent, I'm also very intellectually curious about a lot of different parts of of our business. And so it it pleases me to actually go quite deep into some of these departments to understand what they're doing, some of the projects that they're doing. And one of my main sort of core values is that I ask a lot of questions. I just ask, and by asking questions, it either creates that catalyst to thinking slightly differently or provoking thought in in a different direction. Mm. Um, I see my main role. I sort of always try and figure out and try to always ask my team, what is your role? What is your position in in this business or in life, right? The the role that you have in your life and in your personal life or professional career usually intersect. And before asking them, I need to know what that role is. My role is not being that of a general or of leading. I think my greatest power comes from being a connector. I think you know, in in the sense of football, um, like football, football, not Aussie football. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> I am, I'm the connector. I'm the playmaker. Okay. So I, I'm that midfielder that knows how to connect the defense to this to the, the forward to the striker to create the opportunity. I'm never the one scoring the goal, but I know how to connect people. And I, I see that happening in my personal life as well, where the different people in different parts of my friendship circles that I like to sort of connect. Um, because you know, you want all your friends to get to get along and it makes everything nicer. But I think that mirrors what I do at work. So I know how to connect all the different parts, operational parts, the strategic parts, the sales parts of our business to get the best outcome. And through that career at Rationale, it was a very small company and it continued to grow. And as it was scaling, I did put my hand up to try different parts of, of the business, sometimes because there was nobody else to do it. And sometimes because I wanted to learn. Um, And by doing that, I think I have a greater appreciation of everybody's role and how difficult and nuanced it is. And I think that's my greatest, I guess, gift I I could say is that I I do understand that IT and our enterprise architect has a lot of challenges that the sales teams don't think about when they come up with great strategic ideas of how to to push the business forward. I know how to ask the right question to make sure that that team or he is being brought in at the right time of a decision. And uh, it just, it, everybody just learns a little bit more and I don't think anybody hurts from learning um, other things. So potentially, I hope, did I answer that question? No, I, I think it makes sense.
1: The, way, the, <laughs> the sense I got was uh, a fundamental knowledge of the business and its functions is key, mm-hmm. but the ability, once you have that knowledge, whether it's technical or general, it's um, the ability to connect different people to solve specific problems. Like if people come to you with a problem, it's about, have you thought about chatting to this person and, and blah, blah, mm. blah. Do you find that you're an extroverted individual, ambiverted or an introvert?
0: I mean, I, I like being around people. I like the energy and the synergy that you get when you spend time with people and you're talking and you're learning, but you know, I, I'm, I'm also quite a, a home buddy. Like I like being at home. I like, I like the company of myself. I think I'm pretty good <laughs> yeah. company if I had to be by my, myself. <laughs> um, i like to think I'd leave myself feeling pretty uplifted. Um, no, I, I yeah, I do like people. I, I and I think You know, throughout this period, again, being able to work, being able to connect with people has been a saving grace. And having good relationships at work has been really helpful. But, um, you know, besides knowing the different functions of the business, I think knowing the individual, what motivates them, what triggers them, is really important as a leader because you can almost preempt it before it happens because you can see the triggers happening. Yeah,
1: you can see it happening in motion.
0: Yeah. So you can sort of, you know, pull them in and go, calm down. I need you to slow down. I need you to take a breath. You're spiraling because of some made up thing that you've decided you've got to achieve. Nobody's put that on you. So let's let's sit down and recount all the great things that you've done within the business this month or the whole year. Or So I think that's one thing I, I like to do with the team is to remind them what are these internal pressures that you've potentially put on yourself. And part of it's because they're all high achievers. They... Their personal brand, how they work, how they lead, how they produce work is is a reflection of them.
1: Um, yeah, A type individuals. I'm yeah. not- I'm notorious <laughs> for that as well. Is your your own worst enemy essentially?
0: Definitely. Um,
1: but it's sort of you can sort of see it in the roles that you had, and obviously what ha- was changing in the business from when you started. In that, I think up until 2011, Rushnell had been selling exclusively to. uh, not chemists,
0: dermatologists,
1: Mm -hmm. doctors, plastic surgeons, physicians for 20 years. And you came in at the time where the business started going direct to consumer or was perceiving that at least
0: was planning on doing that? yeah, exactly. Um so it was a, a it was a golden opportunity within the business where they were b two b business, and they were starting to open that up quite dramatically. and part of that was the first step was going online and opening up that barrier. To, we, we had a, an online business, but it was a very convoluted way to to buy. There were a lot of barriers to protect yeah. the professional relationships we had with our dermatologist and and things like that. And I came with that digital background, so it was really exciting. And then Richard Parker, our founder, had a vision of how do you provide the best experience, the most luxurious experience of rationale, and the only way for us to do that was to do it ourselves. And that's Mm. where the flagship, the bricks and mortar, came online because he wanted to say this is the purest experience of rationale that you can have, and the only person or the only people that can show you that is rationale. Um, So that's where we like really diversified the the channel um, strategies uh, and that more direct-to-consumer model happened. But in saying that, that was really challenging because the whole business was built on the B2B business. How do you then navigate through not losing the core of where all your revenue is built when you start opening it up and that exclusivity to the doctor's ends as well? So that was an incredible part where we managed to, to maneuver really well and now the three channels actually work in synergy and work really well together and last year again was a really good example of having the strength of the three um, allowed us to lever up different parts at at different times when things were locked down or you know doctors realized that the only way they could actually make a passive income was through through skincare suddenly that part turned
1: yeah um it was, massive.
0: it was a really good opportunity for us to, to change some behaviors and get them online and you know educate them through online platforms where we were having a lot of resistance because they had so many other things they had to, to focus on.
1: When you came on board, what were the things that you realized you guys had to get right in terms of marketing and distribution channels that either weren't working or just weren't set up for the brand to start pivoting direct to consumer?
0: I think it, a lot of it was the infrastructure. We were doing things so manually in in, in the bigger sense of, of the word. Like, you know, we were using a lot of third-party suppliers for order fulfilment and, uh-huh. you know, warehousing and, and things like that. And it, it's hard to create a perfect experience when everything is so staccatoed in, in the sense of yeah. it, it's this takes care of this, this takes care of this, that the order flow or the, the whole experience was just not great. And being able to do certain parts of the job, I realized the pain points because when you're doing it over and over again, you're not able to step out and go, God, this is frustrating to do. And one of those things would have come from, I was working in the warehouse and I was stuffing the parcels and the satchels. And I was just like, this is really frustrating. Like the box doesn't fit into the satchel really well. Like you're stuffing it in, it's tearing the, the sides, it's taking... 45 seconds to do and I just sort of turned to our warehouse manager at that time and said can we get bigger satchels like an inch bigger and I was just like is there a reason why we use this size he's like oh no we just bought that and then the boxes changed sizes and we never really readjusted the size of the satchels and I said well why don't we try can we get to get slightly bigger satchels yeah, right. um, and then you know that removed a pain point for example but yeah I think it's the autumn the automation of a lot of systems. And I think that's when I moved into more of that operational role. that I was able to see that we were doing things manually. And I hate when things are being done manually when they can be automated as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: but also that improves over time if you own all those different sections as well. Because mm. like you said, that it's one of those things that, you know, we get challenger e brands and they come to us and like okay is who's your fulfillment with who's your this with um your picking and packing and you know i find that the best brands do everything but shipping mm-hmm. and uh that is just indirectly me learning from seeing them go through the process now it's not fun you know when you're a young brand doing that sort of stuff you know you're doing marketing and other activities, support in the morning and then the afternoon, your whole day is just spent picking and packing, picking and packing. Yeah. Particularly during lockdown, it gets monotonous. But it just provides for a better experience. And I it, think... It does. It does. It, it sounds like you got, you guys learned that along the way.
0: We did. And I think, you know, what's the, the only thing that can really differentiate you from, from a big business? It's that customer service. It's that how do you this is the question I've been asking the team sort of the last two weeks. How do you deliver happiness to to a team, Uh, to to clients essentially? We're still, we're not a huge business. We're not a small business anymore. We still have that opportunity. Um, So what can we do to, to make them happy? And part of it is, better service. And I think sometimes we just fall into the, the realm of um, we forget the hustle. We forget how to be a startup business sometimes. And I think those startup businesses and that hustle that you have really propel you forward because mm-hmm. you'll do anything for your client because you can count on one hand how many <laughs> clients you have.
1: Yeah, um, that's so and, true. And, and,
0: and I love that from Ethan, right? Like he's on the phone and he's like, you know, this is July. And I'm like, are you in July? <laughs> do you have people to do that? And he's like, no, no problem yet. We'll, we'll deliver that to you right now. No problem. You know, and I'm like, you have children to feed. Like, how Please. are you delivering <laughs> the suitcase right now? He's like, yeah, don't worry. I'll chuck her in the back. I'll drop off the suitcase and, you know, she can have a cucumber steak in the car. I'm like, no, okay. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's so funny. That's so, so, so funny. Well, yeah. there's something you highlight there as well, because for us as an agency, the dominant challenger brand that's been knocking on our door in the last 12 to 18 months is skincare brands. Like Mm. If I look at our leads that have come in, 50% of them have been skincare brands. So every man and his dog or every woman and a dog rather is starting a skincare brand. Now, they all have a very similar repetitive USP and that is Something like a combination of good for the environment, a more affordable approach, better packaging, or environmentally friendly, or a new type of um, ingredient used in mm-hmm. the cosmetic. Um, now, Rationale is in a very different position in that even when you just look at your Google ads, the headline is Rationale Luxury Skincare, mm-hmm. and I think the key USPs. You you look at things like you know you've got your own your your founder and. And essentially, chemist is your director of research. So you've got mm-hmm. this lab in Melbourne. I, I, our mutual friends... Zoe- by the
0: way, I'm um, missing a, a, a research session right now for you, Jordan. So oh,
1: Jesus. <laughs> <a> big one. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I know our friend has said... Uh, we have a mutual friend in Zoe. She said that her facial experience pre-wedding was pure luxury which I found hilarious. Um,
0: She's a gem. Can anything not nice come out of her? I can't imagine
1: anything. I don't think anything bad has come out of her mouth ever. She's just
0: a beautiful person.
1: What if I told you the way to take your brand to the next level in 2021 is with TikTok ads? A lot of our clients come to us with a problem. They need to take their brand to the next level. They're typically doing 5 to 10K a month and they need to jump to that 25, 50K per month level. And... Instagram and Facebook just isn't what it was. So what's the commonality amongst all this? It is primarily opportunity in a saturated market. And we think that TikTok ads today is the answer. Now, Neural follows a two-phase process to guide you as a challenger brand on the way to growth. Phase one is all about knowing your brand and niche back to front with a focus on breaking even or getting above a break even. Phase two is scaling that creative to blow up your sales in the process once we've secured you as the leader in that niche on TikTok. You do this with the right partner, a committed partner like Naral, and you'll build that confidence in an area that is typically been saturated in the past. There's not a silver bullet And we'd love to chat to you. So book in a consultation with our specialist team. Just go to neural.com slash TikTok. That's N-E-U-R-A-L-L-E dot com slash TikTok. And we'll chat to you from there. What is rationale really good at that others aren't?
0: I think we're really good at being focused at what we need to do as you said you know there there are so many different brands there is this is the one of the most saturated industries in the world yeah it is and it's not emergent it is growing and it continues to grow and the skincare industry in itself is is growing exponentially and how do you not try and be everything to everybody um and that's one thing I think Richard and I really focus on is we, we deliver one thing and that is luminous skin. We play in the sense of skin health is the most important thing. And going back next year, we celebrate 30 years. And from when he started this 30 years ago, the proposition hasn't changed. It is luminous skin for life. And how do you get that optimal skin health? He's never held the thought that you're going to be young forever. He's just gone with, you can be beautiful at any age, depending on how well you take care of your skin health. And, uh, you know, he's not, we as a company aren't against, you know, enhancing treatments or anything of that sort If that's what you want. Great. But start with a really good canvas, take care of your skin, um, because confidence comes from that. And people who are confident can can take on the world. So I do believe we're very clear in, in that focus of not trying to to get seduced by opportunities mm. that potentially are quick wins, we are definitely not a trend focused business. Uh, again, we come back to what is good for the skin and what will make skin healthy. It's all about the what the ingredient it's not just about the ingredient, it's the complex of ingredients, it's how it's delivered yeah. to the skin, it's where it's delivered into the skin and what time it's delivered into the skin. and all of that is science. Um, yeah. So we, it's something that we don't bamboozle our clients with. We get them to trust us. Um, we have a loyal client base that will continue to, to follow us because of what we've done for them, their confidence, their skin. Um, and, you know, the other thing I, I've always said to our team is we're not here to change what we do for what a client demands. And so many new businesses have have that as, as part of their I guess, parts that differentiate them, right? Like our clients want this, we give them X. And for me, it's what do our clients, how do we give our clients what they want before they know they need it? So mm. that's the different approach that we've it's one of our catch prides here. It's it's not give them what they demand, give them what they, they deserve. And that changes the thinking of the team that changes the, the thinking of the research team, the marketing team, the production team, and, um, well, yeah, I think I think that's what really keeps us
1: different. Has he ever? Has Richard ever said to you what never changes in this game, in this sort of skincare business? Because, like you said, everyone's looking for the newest trend. Mm-hmm. Um, there are trend-based products, but there's something that that never changes in each industry, and it sort of sounds like what that was was. A good base or this this idea of luminous skin that you mentioned,
0: mm-hmm. I think the one thing that will never change. Uh, I know for Richard is that human skin is our guiding light, okay. so whatever you do, whatever you put on, whatever ingredients go together, how does that affect human skin achieving that optimal health as well? So I guess more so from a trend based perspective. We have a network of dermatologists that deal with clients that have skin concerns and skin issues and they come to him a lot of the time with this is an issue we just can't solve or we're seeing this becoming a lot more prevalent. Um, So he's able to actually use real life scenarios to go, you know, the rise of skin skin concerns coming from badly formulated makeup for example is causing issues so how do we get ahead of that um pollution you know several years ago was becoming a lot more prevalent again in, in different countries and in asia particularly so how do we get ahead of that or how do we provide something um to that client mm. and he takes a very very deep interest in individual clients if, if we can't solve or can't get them to where they can get optimal skin he becomes really obsessive about oh, it Really, okay so a lot of the new products that we've come up with recently or in the last couple of years have come effectively from one client where he's trying to solve a problem and then we realise that there's a wider group of people that have that same concern. Um, okay. So, yeah, I think human skin, definitely. Do
1: you, do you think skincare is aspirational or functional or both?
0: I think it's both. I think, you know, there's there's definitely a function to things like protecting your skin against the sun. And that's a yeah. very functional proposition that has direct health benefits and well, well-being benefits. And there's an aspirational part to people wanting to belong to something. And, you know, you more than anybody knows, as an agency who takes on different brands. People aspire to be part of a social status of being able to say, I, you know, use or wear Nike Air Jordans. Um yeah,
1: that's, that's compared to fact. just
0: Nike Pegasus and whatever it is. <laughs> People <laughs> want to be a part of a club. People want to say, you know, I eat at this place and I read this kind of books and I go to this place for for a holiday. So I think skincare or anything for that matter falls into an aspirational proposition.
1: Mm. What what's
0: your experience with it?
1: I think it's both. I think it's it's hard to be purely aspirational like it's harder to market something that's purely aspirational like fashion yes. is purely aspirational but you can also argue that there is some function in fashion and that you need clothes so you can't just walk around naked um arguably but, but yeah but arguably <laughs> yeah um but you can't but then people don't look at it like that because you know it's about alternatives you have to to other pieces of fashion so I think it's I think it's a bit about I think also the aspirational component is not just being connected to the brand per se, but um connected to a type of person you want to be. Like if you have skin issues, and I speak from mm-hmm. that with experience, like growing up as a teenager, I had very oily, pimply skin. And all I wanted was to not have that. Yeah. <laughs> so- and, and it's so
0: aligned with confidence, isn't it? Yeah, part of that. Like, it doesn't matter that it doesn't matter that nobody else maybe notices that you're the you're the person that notices it, and it's that's the greatest impact.
1: Mm. Yeah, as well. Yeah, that's the so, that's the biggest thing, and it's it's that self confidence, so to speak. Um, yeah. Before we get into rapid fire questions, I've got two other queries for you. One is on the future of the business. Now, you guys launched the Singapore location coming full circle now, which is quite interesting.
0: That was um,
1: a miracle
0: in itself, Jordan, let me I know. tell you.
1: <laughs> like to do that. So this is recent, right? This is this is amidst yes. the pandemic. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. That's quite significant in and of itself. But what I'm thinking about more importantly is, you know, there's going to be a time where you and Richard don't exist in the business. You know, there might yeah. be a point of time where, you know, you've got to always manage for these things. When you've got a founder or a key man, what happens if tomorrow they were hit by a bus? You've got to think about these problems. Cho,
0: cho, 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 as they say in <laughs> Singapore.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah don't, don't say that. But have you or Richard ever thought about the fact that one day you won't be there? And how does this brand continue to exist, uh, particularly from the skin care discovery element? How have you looked to ingrain that internally? Yeah.
0: I think I've always taken that notion that nothing is built on on myself or my ego or my thoughts or anything within this business, that the legacy that I should leave behind and that I want to leave behind is the team um, and the vision that we build into the team that everybody is a brand guardian. Everybody knows what's right for the brand without the core people, the founder, the CEO, the leaders of the business being in the business. And I see that happening day in and day out where this team is so good at what they do, but they're so protective of the brand. So the stewardship of the brand has to be really strong and how that continues to flow is one of the biggest parts that we continue to do. I think we have a very clear message in terms of what the proposition is. We keep it very simple. The imperative is very simple. The vision is very simple. So anybody knows what that is. And okay. that's the guiding light again of, of what you do. We deliver Lumiskin skin for life through experiences that enlighten and transform. And that can be from how you put together an IT system to how you choose um, the freight forwarder. You know, all of that comes into those two propositions. And we have very clear pillars of our brand codes and our brand DNA that again, teams go back to time and time again. Mm. So before things even come to myself and Richard, things are so qualified and are so right because the team is already thinking in the right way. And that's where most of the effort should be put in. It's not about the work or the big strategic thinking pieces. If you do the work at the bottom, it's like the rocket ship that needs to take off all the hard work, all the fuel is consumed to getting it off the ground so if you're doing all that foundation work, then the ideas, the thinking, what happens next, the, the team will formulate that. And now we have a really good system where the research team will come up with, you know, we were doing innovation, we found this we ticked all of these boxes. We'd like to show it to you. We think it could be used in this way. We were talking to the consumers or the, the customers or um, the sales teams and they've, no, they've noticed this. So it comes full circle in itself, but you've got to do the hard work in really building, I think, that strong level of guardianship and stewardship.
1: And that, that groundwork, that source of truth, is that uh, something as simple as a handbook or is it something else?
0: Um, I think it's a we do have that obviously for, for new starters, but it is living and breathing it every day. It's it's ingratiating it in the language that we use. The it's constant. It's it's the one thing that Richard and I sort of speak about a lot is that people like we get tired of a message much more quicker, obviously, than the consumer does or or anybody does because we're talking about it day in and day out. So it's being able to step out of that and go nobody knows about this as much as we do in in terms of what we stand for. So we can't get bored of it. So it's the same language we we talk about. It's, it's, it's doing almost the same thing over and over again that it becomes that habit. And again, Mm. this is all my experience and my opinion (laughs) around it, whether it's right or not, I don't know. But what I do know is that we've gained that success over the last couple of years. And it is because of this dogged focus and, and, we're very clear in, in what we're trying to do. And yeah, I, I think it also recently in, in Singapore, we were trying to, to do a few different things and I was listening to all the different team members give their opinion on why it was right or why it was wrong or how we should evolve it. And I didn't even have to say anything at the end of it. I said, <laughs> you guys, you guys you know exactly it. what you're doing. <laughs> I don't actually, I, I can't add anything to this because you're all so perfectly protected the brand. You know how to evolve it to make it new and modern, but you guys actually don't need me. <laughs> I'm going to take a day off. <laughs> so I feel like that's where I, I feel my biggest wins when I know that things can go forward without me being in the business. And um, you know, Richard can go on a holiday for for six months and things will run. That's when I know we've been really successful with what we've done.
1: Okay, that's pretty cool. Oh, that would be nice. <laughs> Wouldn't it would it? be nice. Um, it would be nice. The last few years has been interesting for you personally, in that you're running the business. Both you and Nathan have gone through the fun of raising two kids under four while both running businesses yourself. Um,
0: yeah. I decided to start a new business
1: when two you're... weeks
0: after my first child was born, and yeah. then he had to go to China. And I was like, are you trying to get me to divorce you?
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I remember he he said that. um, It it would have been obviously very testing. Um, I I don't know if I'd get away with that at all because so Lauren and I, we run our business together. Um, Mm -hmm. I noticed in a previous interview that you're very protective of your time, which is sort of like a key principle that you've pulled away. Mm -hmm. For us... I guess, you know, in the next year, we're thinking about kids while the business continues to grow. Have you got any advice? What advice would you give to us?
0: Yeah, I I think one of it is one that you're already doing or thinking of doing. I think when I last spoke to you when we met at that cafe, but move near your parents. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) For (laughs) help. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I think take all the help that you can get and there's no shame in asking for it. There's no shame in paying for it and it does take a village to raise a kids and kids benefit from besides just the parents, you know, that there's unconditional love there, but there's unconditional love from aunties and uncles, grandparents, take all of that. And the thing I did differently with Leo than I did with Asha was if somebody said, Hey, we want to come over and we just want to hang out with you. I was just like, come on over, take the baby. So I can go and like, have a shower, yeah. sit on the floor and yeah. like think why I did this to myself again. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, but I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed the process the second time around because I had very clear boundaries of I am going to get the help. Um, we obviously have an incredible support system. We have Sam who is our Danny, who I will take time and time over again, over Ethan. <laughs> if, if, if Ethan and her have a fight or anything, I'm I'm citing Sam if she killed somebody. Sam didn't do what Ethan did.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's so funny.
0: <laughs> so um, we, we have such an incredible support system there. Um, his parents are so, so helpful to everything that we do. We moved near them, so that would be yeah. easier for them to, to help us. <laughs> um, so definitely just take the help that there's no shame and ask for help. Like you, you don't know what you're doing. Nobody going into parenthood for the first time knows what it is. And the second part is don't concentrate on the birth, concentrate on the 12 months after. Yeah. That. Um, that. That's the hard part. You know, the, the easy part is getting the kid out.
1: The hard, <laughs> the hard part, part is keeping it alive. Your
0: exactly. <laughs> you're <laughs> keeping yourself, and it's the, you're mourning the loss of your what your life used to be. Mm. Um, and I, I get it. Like a lot of parents want to have the child fit into their lifestyles. It's, it's the, the biggest thing I think is that you are self. You have to become selfless. It, you you have to switch that mentality of selfishness of you know I'm doing everything for myself or self care or like none of that exists because you know you're just somebody's little snack bitch at the moment. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. That's that's <laughs> what I'm thinking about. Is like you're your objective on life pivots from you to the child, which is something that yeah. intrigued me.
0: Yeah, and um, you just have boundaries. You've got good, healthy boundaries around it. And I, I I, had to acknowledge what was important to me and I communicated that really well with Ethan and said my friendships and seeing my girlfriends going out for a dinner, really important. So how, how can you help me facilitate that so I don't feel like I've changed and lost myself completely? Mm, yeah. And yeah, Ethan's really great with with action and and showing that. So he's like, okay, every Tuesday, do do what you need to do, so that you don't feel like you've got to rush home to do bedtime, bath time. This was when we just had one 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 child. Yeah. Um, but the same principles apply. And um, yeah, just it's yeah, it, it's it's the greatest thing to do when when you're deciding to do it. But don't be a martyr.
1: Mm. And yeah, don't be a martyr. That's yeah. so good. That's such a yeah. good point. Yeah, um, don't be a martyr. I've made several points about Ethan during this interview and we've had him on the show. <laughs> Apart from teaching you a few Greek swear words and giving you two lovely kids, what's <laughs> what's he taught you about business and life?
0: Um, do you know one of the greatest things about Ethan is that he's got such a great attitude about anything and, and anybody, you know, he's, he's almost childlike in, in that endeavour of how hard can anything be? So, you know, childbirth, how hard can it be? Raising a kid, how hard can it be? And it's almost like because he knows nothing about it, he goes into it with like, you know, preconceived notions. Um, So I think that's the one sort of one part that I've taken from him that how hard can things be? So work out what's the the worst thing that can happen from a scenario. Um, The other thing I think I've really learned from him is that because he's he is an entrepreneur, he's always started businesses. He's always pursued things that he's loved. He's, he's the first person to support a new business. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if he doesn't do anything in it. I remember he came home one day and he had this like huge surfboard. And I was like, what the hell? Like, I didn't even know he, he knew how to swim. Like, um, he was like, oh, no, you know, my friend Jarrah, he was starting out this new surfboard thing. He was making surfboards and they were handmade. And so I bought that. And I so bought every one time. Yeah, every time there's something, it's called the sea wolf, by the way. I don't actually know where it is because he doesn't. Stop. <laughs> um, but I think that's one really admirable thing about him is that it doesn't matter what it is. He really believes in supporting, you know, friends, family, anybody who's doing something new. He he gives a lot of time and gives a lot of attention. Um, and he just wants everybody to to pursue what they want to pursue. So I really admire that. Uh, yeah. About his approach to, I've got so many random things in the house, and it's because yeah. he's like, no, they started this business, and it's you know breast pump. So I bought, I bought that. I'm like, for yourself or yeah, yeah, for, um, for, me. for for me for me.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Ethan's like, um, he's the real life embodiment, personality wise, of um, Zorba the Greek. I don't know if anyone's seen that <laughs> original movie, the black and white film, but the guy <laughs> in the film, it, it, like, he's, uh, like eternally optimistic, like sort of things just he brushes it off like a form of it's that classic like greek stoicism it's like yeah whatever like you know
0: he's and, and he he will be there for anybody like he will give so much of his time to everybody any friend who calls who needs him um he'll do it you know sometimes with the own to his own detriment um but that's just who he is he 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 will do everything for his parents for his family for for friends um it's, it's really admirable. And I think, yeah, it's, um, he teaches me a lot of things a lot of the time. He's, um, Mm. I don't say this often to him because, you know, we're very competitive or at least I think we're very competitive. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but he's an incredible human being.
1: Yeah, he is. I'd agree with that. All right. Rapid fire questions to finish things off. What's your morning and evening routine look like?
0: God, um, my morning routine really depends on whether it's Ethan's turn or my turn to to get the kids. So we take turns. Um, so if it's my morning off, it means that I go for a run and I do a few exercise things. Um, if I have the kids, it's in my mind, working out was the quickest way to get them dressed, fed and out of the house. Mm. Um, evening routine is kids, but after the kids go to bed, it is very much about cleaning the house. It is so unsexy. I don't have any good answers, <laughs> except I run around and clean up the house so that eight hours later they can mess it up again. Yeah, right. Um, that's so that's funny. my evening routine. It's pretty shit. I wish I had a better answer for you, but I don't
1: <laughs> Are you guys watching anything in particular at the moment on any streaming services? Um
0: I was watching Nine Perfect Strangers. Oh yeah. And I was told to watch Clickbait.
1: Okay, so yeah, I'm going to see that recently. Going to
0: start watching it. Any recommendations from you?
1: Um we watched uh just fun- finished watching uh Turning Point last night, which is quite interesting. It was uh the the prelude the event of and the aftermath of 9 11, but it's it's sort of, you know, right. it looks at everything in hindsight up until the, um, you know, the US Army leaving Afghanistan the other week. So okay. it's it's yeah, really, right. it's really interesting. It's like a classic Netflix documentary where it's really deep.
0: Um, mm.
1: You know, in, in a lot of the cases with 9 11 documentaries, they just put a, a 60 to 90 minute segment on it and that's it. Whereas this is like a six, Episode mini series. So it goes really in depth And it's really intriguing Yeah um, Yeah I'd recommend that But I'm about to watch uh, I just saw that clickbait thing The only reason I'm going to watch it Is because it was filmed in Melbourne
0: Filmed in Melbourne <laughs> Yeah that's what I want to see as well
1: That's literally it
0: Ian and I used to watch things together But we don't anymore And I think part of it is He doesn't want to watch anything new He goes back to like really random old things Because he's like I just I just want to know That I'm going to watch something That I'm going to enjoy yeah. Yeah. So he's like he watches like Rick and Morty or
1: like yeah.
0: Seinfeld, like really random things. But, Seinfeld's um,
1: a classic. It's on out on Netflix at the moment. He t- he gave me this YouTube channel recently that um it's like an engineering channel. He he watches oh. a lot of YouTube. I know that. I'm the same. Um, yeah,
0: he he definitely does. He made me watch how to make like the perfect baguette the other day, and I'm like, yeah, I don't have 30 minutes to watch <laughs> bread literally rise. <laughs>
1: All right, last question for you. Best purchase under two hundred dollars.
0: Gosh, uh, best purchase under two hundred dollars. Paint for paint? me right now. With okay, paint. it just it um. There's so many uses for paint at the moment, like coloring rice, coloring salt. That's paint, a good like, one. Uh, yeah, I actually need. I was looking actually on Kmart last night because I needed to refill like buckets of paint because I was just like, I, what am I going to do with these kids in the next couple of weeks, um, especially with Asha? So I'm like, paint. It's, it's just like, God, life is just not the same if I didn't have yeah. paint to occupy her.
1: Yeah, wow. That's a good one. It's very inexpensive as well. It's very good. Yeah. yeah. Um, Sham, Shamani, thank you yes. for coming on the show.
0: Thanks so much uh, for having me, Jordan. I know it took us a while to to get yeah,
1: here. Yeah, that's the fun are... of um, repeated lockdowns. It's a I pity know. we couldn't have you in the studio. But where can people Next find time. find you on the interwebs?
0: On my social media, on LinkedIn, and uh, yeah, mainly just Instagram. To be honest, Instagram <laughs> and um, LinkedIn. <laughs> I don't have time for anything else. I would say I'd yeah. like to say I was on Twitter, but like now. And I, do you know what? I actually really enjoy your wife's um, Instagram stories. She's got some really funny <laughs> things on there yeah. a lot of the time. I like, I like when people take the mickey out of things and, and make me laugh. So she's, she's, she's got a good little
1: She's story. got a good sense of humour. She's got a yeah. great sense of humour. Uh, She'll absolutely love that you said that because oh. she, she <laughs> believes that she's the funnier one out of the two. And I'd probably say she's right, and it's mainly because of her dad. Her dad right. is a real character. Um, <laughs> Charles Lopatko he's uh, what do we call him the Commodore the Colonel he looks a little like <laughs> Colonel Sanders sometimes when he grows his beard out he's a real character that's, that's legendary Cham thanks for coming on uh, thanks it's so been much a for having me
0: Jordan and hopefully we'll, we'll see you soon
1: yeah well hopefully well permitting we're out of lockdown in a few months let's see yeah
0: we'll, we'll come and see a new place in, yeah. in St Kilda Road
1: <laughs> awesome alright thanks
0: <laughs> thanks so much
1: Thank you so much for checking out this episode. If you liked it, do subscribe. And of course, like it on YouTube if you're watching as well. We'd really appreciate that. For audio, if you're not already listening on your podcast app, you can search for it on any good app, including Spotify, Pocket Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, etc. For video, if you're not watching, you can search Uncommon Podcasts on YouTube. It's the first one that appears every single time. But behind the scenes, do follow us on Instagram and TikTok. It's at uncommon underscore show. But until next time, thanks for tuning in.